Hi, and welcome to 5 Minutes of Rum. Notes on rum, a few minutes at a time. My name is Kevin Up the Grove. Today's topic is an introduction to the Mai Tai, a drink that was both made famous and battled over by two titans of tiki drinks, Don the Beachcomber and Trader Vic Bergeron. There are two different rums in this episode, which is a nod to my preferred uh, recipe for the Mai Tai, as well as a short, short discussion on curacao and making homemade orgeat. Uh, then I'll put that all together in a double old-fashioned glass and make what is probably my overall favorite cocktail, the Trader Vic's Mai Tai. So to start off, a little background on the Mai Tai. Uh, most of what I'm relaying here is pulled from Beach Bum Berry Remixed, uh, the book that I've referred to in many previous episodes. Uh, the condensed version is that Trader Vic Bergeron and Don Beach argued for years about who created the Mai Tai and even went to court over it in the early 70s. I think there was a trademark dispute over some bottled Mai Tai mix that the Don the Beachcomber Corporation was labeling as having been the original Mai Tai. Um, ultimately, Trader Vicks won a decision in his favor in an out-of-court settlement, uh, but the evidence that Beach Bumberry presents in his book do does make a compelling case that Trader Vic uh, is the, indeed the originator of the Mai Tai as we know it, but he actually arrived at that based on wanting to replicate a Don drinks called a Don's drink called the QB Cooler. So the QB Cooler is made up of you know a very different ingredient list, but surprisingly has a very similar taste to a Trader Vic's Mai Tai when you put them side by side against each other. Uh, Don did have a 1933 cocktail called the Mai Tai Swizzle, but the flavor profile in that drink is really quite different. It wouldn't be the same drink that Vic created. So it would seem that when Trader Vic created the drink, he was basing it off of, again, the, the QB Cooler drink, and in an attempt to replicate that, came up with kind of a different ingredient list, but a very similar favor, flavor profile. Um, there's actually a whole lot of legend to the Mai Tai um, itself, uh, more of which can be read in the Beach Bunbury remix, and there's a whole lot of information online. Um, but that's really how the Mai Tai itself got started, and we'll talk a little bit more about the Trader Vic's recipe of the Mai Tai coming up later in this episode. And incidentally, if you weren't already aware, Mai Tai means the best in Tahitian. So when you talk about a Mai Tai, you know, people might have sort of a preconceived notion in their head that they call up when they hear the words Mai Tai. And there's different styles of Mai Tai. And I think that the one that more often than not people would think of when they hear the words Mai Tai is what I would refer to as a Hawaiian or an island style Mai Tai. Um, that one is essentially a lot of different kinds of fruit juice. It might be orange juice, pineapple juice, and some other citrus like lemon and lime, usually mixed with light rum maybe some grenadine, and then has a dark rum float on it. Um, if you order a Mai Tai, especially in Hawaii, nine times out of ten, that's what you're going to get, and that's what most people think of with the Mai Tai. Um, and I think even though it has its place and it's not a bad drink at a luau, I don't think it gets a great rep. It doesn't have a great reputation, and so people tend to think Mai Tai is not a great cocktail. Um, the other, A couple other styles, there's the Don the Beachcomber Mai Tai, the Mai Tai Swizzle that was mentioned a few minutes ago. Um, that would be an even more, sort of an even more tart than a Trader Vic style uh, Mai Tai. And it also has Pernod and Bitter, so quite a bit different uh, in that way. And then the Trader Vic style, which is my personal favorite, is a, a fairly boozy rum cocktail. Not terribly sweet, but it does have some sugar syrup and other flavorants. And then lime juice for tartness. Personally, my own Mai Tai history um, ranges all the way from Trader Vic's pre-mixed plus Myers. Uh, to today where I'm you know, in the kitchen making homemade orgeat. Um, to me, in my mind, even before I started mixing drinks, I equated the Mai Tai with Trader Vic's um, without even knowing the history of it. Um, and when I started making drinks at home, 
you know, I started with what I would call at the time the lazy Mai Tai, you know, four ounces of the Trader Vic's bottled mix, two ounces of Myers rum and the juice of one lime, which in and of itself is not a great drink, but it's a good starting place because you kind of get the idea of, you know, what's going into that cocktail. Um, from there, I started mixing a little bit more, you know, of the individual components. So, okay, let's uh, break down the the mix into what it is. It's citrus and sugar syrup and curacao and other things. So if I get all those ingredients together, then I can make a homemade Mai Tai. Um, and then from there, it progressed even a little bit further into making homemade syrups and homemade orgite. Uh, and it really became, like I said, it, it evolved over time as probably being my favorite overall cocktail and one that I have on many occasions. So my preferred Mai Tai recipe calls for two different types of rum. So it sort of made sense in this episode if I was going to talk about the Mai Tai to feature two different kinds of rums. Uh, so in this episode, we have the Appleton 12-year rum and the Clement uh, VSOP or Clement VSOP rum. Um, I'll start with the Appleton 12-year rum. The Appleton 12-year is a Jamaican rum in the English style that comes from a molasses base. I've talked about this style before in episode three with dark Jamaican rum and uh, in the last episode, E6, with uh, gold Jamaican rum. This rum, the Appleton 12, is actually much closer to Appleton VX than the Caruba Dark. Um, from the Appleton site, they sort of describe it as a 12-year um, rum as a masterpiece of oak aging. They also use words like cask and mahogany. They're clearly going for an aged and woody feel to their rum. Uh, this is a blended aged rum um, that's aged in oak casks. Uh, and the 12 in the Appleton 12 title refers to the minimum age of each individual rum in the blend. So again, this is a rum that's, it's not what you, it's not like a single malt scotch or a single source rum. It's a blend of different rums together. And the 12 means that whatever the youngest rum is in that blend has to be at least 12 years old. So chances are pretty good that you're getting a wide variety of different aged rums within the Appleton 12. And at a minimum is a 12 year age. So like the VX from the last episode, I first sipped Appleton 12 as part of the Rum and Chocolate Symposium at Tiki Oasis 9. Um, and this became sort of my first big purchase rum because, you know, it, when it's priced at, I think it's $36 a bottle or so, uh, you're really getting past entry level. You're kind of making a commitment. Um, luckily, one of the things that's nice about rum is that because rum trails other spirits in popularity, you can get really good rums at prices that are better than say an equivalent tequila. For instance, you know, you can get a really good tequila will run you anywhere from $50 and up, whereas probably an equivalent uh, level rum is probably gonna be more like $30 and up. So sometimes it does pay to be less popular than, than uh, some other spirits. Uh, Appleton 12 is bottled at 86 proof or 43% alcohol by volume. Um, and in terms of tasting and appearance, um, again, my standard disclaimer, um, I'm tasting based on generalities, not picking out individual flavors, just so you can calibrate against how I taste. The appearance of the rum in a glass, it's a, it's a dark brown, faint, it has a faint green ring around the top of the rum, um, and real thin on the glass when swirled and starts to run down. Uh, in terms of aroma, uh, it seems very mellow, it has a, sweet, a slight sweetness to it, a little grassy and a little bit woody, and unless you really inhale deeply, it's not very astringent. In terms of taste, I found it you know, smooth, definitely less sugary than it smelled. Um, and it's hard to describe this as something that would be considered desirable, but it has an earthiness to it. So when you first sip it, I get a hint of butterscotch, which is a little bit of that mellow sweetness. And then that's quickly gone and replaced by what I don't have a, I don't have a better way to describe it. It's sort of woody and soil elements. Um, and then on the finish, 
it's a little faint but lengthy um, and kind of warm but not super hot and I'm I'm that's pretty consistent with what I would consider aged drums where you're not going to get that white hot heat from something that's not aged you're, it's going to finish warm this is a rum that I really enjoy um, although oddly I use it mostly with uh, as an ingredient in a top shelf Mai Tai I don't often sip it straight uh, it's not because I dislike it, but it's sort of burned in my head as the Jamaican rum component in a high-end Mai Tai. Uh, overall, I'm a fan of almost everything Appleton makes, and this is definitely not an exception. Um, you might say, though, I, I've heard others make this argument that um, for the price, the Appleton Reserve is a better deal. Appleton Reserve um, on the Appleton product line sits between the VX and the 12, and I don't have a bottle and I can't right now, and I can't do a comparison side-by-side, side, but I will say that the Reserve from having tasted it before, is a really good rum, and it's it does make a really good deal. So in terms of sipping neat, it might actually be better than the 12-year, um, although your mileage may vary depending on which one you like. So now taking a look at the Clement Visop. Um, the full name of this rum is Clement Visop Rum Agricole View, and as discussed in episode 5 where we talked about rum agricole, the designation view gives this rum away as an aged rum. Um, it's indeed an, an agricole from Martinique, but it's really quite different from the J.M. Blanc in episode five. Uh, Clement describes their Visop rum as aged a minimum of four years in bourbon casks. And again, as an ag- agricole rum for Martinique, its origin is from sugarcane juice, not molasses. And its production is regulated by an, uh, the AOC or Appalachian of uh, Origin that, that I've linked to in the show notes here. In contrast to how Appleton positions their rum, Clement uses you know much different words like warm and soft and mellow when describing the rum on their website. The Clement Visop is bottled at 80 proof or 40% alcohol by volume. In terms of appearance, uh, the bottle, interestingly, I noticed when I bought my most recent bottle has changed. It used to be a corked bottle with a foil wrap and now it's a screw cap with a plastic wrap on the neck of the bottle. I don't know that that really affects anything, but it is an interesting change from one, you know, one bottle to the next. So in the glass, the Clement Visop is, uh, you know, it's darker than just a gold. Um, it looks kind of like an amber maple syrup, um, and it's not real super clingy to the sides of the glass. In terms of aroma, uh, it smells a little bit like a brandy. It's a little sweet and a little bit astringent, but doesn't smell a lot like a traditional agricole, or at least not like the agricole uh, blanc. Then you taste it, and then all of a sudden you're really strongly reminded that this is an agricole rum. Sudden, those, those agricole notes are suddenly very noticeable. Uh, it starts, so it starts with the woody taste of the barrel, and then there's a rush of the agricole grassiness, um, but not as sharp and overpowering like the J.M. Blanc from episode five. Um, so once again, showing that aging sort of rounds off the sharp corners and mellows a rum out as it sits in the barrel. Uh, I found it to actually have a pretty short finish, lingering a little bit on the tongue, but um, very little burn in the throat. Um, so compared to how they describe on their website, I didn't get the long fade that they describe. Uh, but then again, I'm not really a professional taster. So all in all, I found it, you know, I find it very distinct and enjoyable to sip and certainly something I'd recommend to scotch and whiskey drinkers. Uh, I often use this um, as, lo- as well as the Appleton 12 in a top shelf Mai Tai and I also sip it neat from time to time. This actually wasn't the original agricole I used when I first started making, um, you know, Mai Tais, quote unquote, from scratch and, and using different individual components. Uh, I used to favor St. James, uh, but I've come around to Clement and sort of keep both in rotation depending on what flavor I'm going for. So another important element of the Trader Vic's Mai Tai is orange curacao. Um, 
So what is curacao? Curacao is a liqueur flavored by the tri- dried peel of Larasha, which is a citrus from the island of Curacao. The origin of the fruit was that uh, Spanish settlers or Spanish explorers brought Valencia oranges to the island of Curacao, but because of the climate, those oranges didn't thrive and ended up producing a rather bitter fruit. So while it makes for a nice flavor and it's not exactly much of an eater in terms of a fruit. So the peel of the Larasha is dried and then steeped in alcohol for an extended period of time to sort of coax out those orange flavors. And then like most spirits, when it's produced, it's clear and then either orange or blue color is added depending on whether the maker is marketing a blue curacao or an orange curacao. And I'm again, those are colors mostly added for effect. They don't really add anything to the flavor, but when you mix them in a drink, uh, sometimes you get an interesting look that people use to distinguish their cocktails from other cocktails. Taste, as you might expect, uh, predominantly an orange flavor with varying levels of sweetness depending on what version you're drinking. Uh, There's probably a nuanced argument to make that much of what we call curacao is more orange-flavored brandy, uh, but I'm not going to make that distinction because it's not important to me. Um, I tend to lump many orange liqueurs together under a curacao umbrella, whether it's triple sec, uh, orange shrub, and name brands like Cointreau or Grand Marnier. So different types to try. I would recommend, if at all possible, staying away from the very bottom shelf if you can. Um, I started making drinks with the likes of uh, Hiram Walker, and those are really too sweet. They're you know sort of syrupy, um, and the actually over time, the caps tend to stick to the top of the bottle, which tells you just how much sugar is inside those things. And then for the amount that you actually use in a Mai Tai, um, you know, you can spend a little bit more in terms of dollars and not have to worry about pouring it, you know, too quickly and running out too quickly. Uh, so Grand Gala is a good option. And that was my standard for a period of time. Uh, I then reached for Senior Curacao on a recommendation and found that to be a really good uh, orange liqueur or orange curacao to use as well. And then I ran across another Clement product, which is Creole Shrub. Um, that's also an orange liqueur and it has the added benefit of being an agricole rum base. So it really makes a good partner to a Mai Tai. Most recently, the one I ran across was something that's a, a fairly new product, uh, Ferrand Dry Curacao, which as the name implies is a less sweet version of an orange curacao. According to the label, it was developed um, by the Pierre Ferrand company in conjunction with David Wondrich, who's a, a noted cocktail researcher and wrote, among other things, a fantastic book on the history of punch. Um, and they developed this curacao from an old 19th century recipe. Um, I'm not going to go into deep notes on, you know, or deep, you know, thought into tasting and comparing uh, curacaos against each other. But I did recently compare the senior curacao against the dry curacao. And there's a link in the show notes to what I wrote on that topic over on tqcentral.com. So in terms of curacao, I would recommend trying a few different styles as they do vary, you know, from one to another. Uh, re- again, recommend staying above the bottom shelf if you can. And remember that you're not going to burn through a good bottle as fast as you'll burn through a bottle of rum. Um, and I recommend, you know, seeking out if you can find it, the Ferran Dry Curacao and giving that a try as well. So next up on the Trader Vic's Mai Tai recipe ingredient list is Orgit. Um, so what the heck is Orgit and how do you actually pronounce it? Um, I'll admit right off the bat, I'm probably pronouncing it wrong. Um, I've heard different ways of pronouncing it from Orgit to Orgi to Orgiat. Um, I'm not sure which one is correct because every time I hear a reputable, reputable person say it, they're saying it a little bit differently. Uh, so I sort of use them interchangeably depending on what sort of bad pun I'm trying to make at the time. Um, so Orgit is a 
It's a type of syrup. It's not a liqueur. Um, and it's an almond flavored syrup that has a little bit of extra depth based on or from coming from floral and orange notes. So it's essentially an, an almond sugar syrup with a little bit of floral notes to it. And so like we talked about with passion fruit syrup in episode three, you have two choices when it comes to orgeat. You can make it from scratch or you can seek out some alternatives. Um, some good ready-made alternatives are Tarani, Monin, and BG Reynolds syrup. Um, I've tried all of those and I found them all to be really good. Um, some of them are a little bit sweeter than others. Some of them are a little more heavily almond flavored than others. Uh, the BG Reynolds is probably closest to homemade, which makes sense because it's a, you know, a, a small batch operation. Uh, the Torani is good, but you know, really strong. So, you know, in, in a recipe, you may need to use a little bit less of it. Um, the same question that comes up with different syrups, should you make your own? Uh, I would recommend it if, if it's all possible for you to do so. It'll be a fresher syrup and the taste is, you know, definitely superior to something that's coming in somebody else's bottle. This was one of the things that I found pretty exotic and wasn't really willing to make past, you know, I was, I was willing to make simple syrup and that was kind of it for a while because it seemed like this was way out of my range of what I was going to be able to make. And then I found a recipe and actually took the time to read it and found, you know what, it's actually not that hard. Um, and it's really only slightly more cumbersome than making a passion fruit syrup, which is in of itself is pretty easy. So my go-to recipe for this is linked to in the show notes, and it's from a website called postprohibition.com. Um, I believe it is the website of a bartender um, up in, based up in Portland, Oregon, um, and it's a really good resource for not just this, but also a Falernum recipe and, and many other you know cocktail and liqueur recipes. It's a great resource. I'll link directly to the Orgy recipe, but I would also recommend adding postprohibition.com to your reading list because he's got a lot of good stuff on his website. Um, there's also a recipe in Beach Bum Berry Remixed, uh, but I prefer the post-prohibition post one a little bit more, mostly because I don't have to say post-prohibition out loud too often. So the ingredient list, and again, I'll, I'll link to the recipe, but I want to give you an overview of what it takes to make orgeat so you can see it's really not that difficult. Um, the ingredient list is pretty simple. Uh, used blanched uh, sliced almonds, uh, water, a little bit of vodka or white rum, some sugar, and then you're either going to use um, orange flower water or a combination of rose water and orange bitters, and then a little bit of almond extract. The process overall is pretty simple. You, you take the almonds, soak them in water for a little while to sort of shake loose the debris, and then you strain and discard that water. And then you add in more water and the vodka or the white rum, and then let that soak anywhere from three hours all the way up to like 24 hours or longer. Um, that sort of extracts oil from the almonds and sort of gets the gets you into a, an almond water sort of situation, which you're going to use later to make your syrup. So after that period of time has elapsed, um, either use a hand blender or a food processor and blend the almonds and release the rest of the oil. So then you strain all that through cheesecloth and then collect that water into a separate bowl. And then, you know, again, squeeze the rest of the almonds through the cheesecloth to get as much of that almond water as you can. Then you combine the almond water and the sugar and make a simple syrup out of it um, until it's dissolved. Take it off the heat and allow it to cool. Um, at this point, you know, there is a little bit of separation sometimes between the almond oil and the water. Uh, so you can use a little bit of xanthan gum to mix them together. I find that the xanthan gum is helpful, but it doesn't really fix everything. Um, ultimately you're just going to make a syrup out of it and you're gonna have to shake it before you use it. And that's okay. 
Um, then you add a little bit of almond extract to sort of you know notch up the almond flavor, uh, depending on how much how strong you actually want to make it. But definitely do that to taste. And then for the floral notes, um, you can either add, as I said, orange flower water or rose water and orange bitters. Um, I started my recipe most or started making it most of the time with orange flower water, but you have to be careful with that because you get a little perfumey if you use too much of it. Um, and then I recently moved over to using orange bitters, uh, some Fee Brothers orange bitters and the rose water, and that works out really well. Um, I just do it to taste, essentially. I think there's some guidelines in the recipe of how much you use, but essentially add some, mix, and then taste it and see how it, you know, see if it meets your expectations. So orgy, not that difficult to make. Um, it's okay to buy a premix. Just make sure you make a or make sure you purchase one that from a reputable a reputable source. I have links in the show notes for ones from BG Reynolds and from Monin and from Tarani. Um, but if you decide to branch out and make your own, it's really not that hard. So I encourage you to try that. And then you can enjoy the view up on your ivory tower when someone mentions that they bought Orgid from the store. All right. So finally, we're going to get to the recipe in, in this episode, which is, of course, the Trader Vic's Mai Tai. Um, there's, you know, there's a recipe for this in multiple locations. You'll find this recipe in different places. Um, I'm using the recipe from Beach Bunbury Remixed as well as, you know, looking at numerous Trader Vic's books like the Trader Vic's Tiki Party, which I've linked to again in the show notes as well. In the Tiki Party book, they reference the original recipe as containing two ounces of 17-year-old J. Ray and nephew Jamaican rum. Uh, that's a rum that's no longer available and it's not a choice that you can actually fulfill now. Um, so they instead now reference one ounce each of their house brand golden dark rums. And they say if those aren't available, then they recommend an Appleton and a St. James to represent the, the dark and the gold. So now is probably as good a time as any to mention that to make a Trader Vic style Mai Tai, I would agree and encourage trying different combinations of light and gold rum and a Jamaican rum, but I would probably steer clear of Trader Vic's house rums. They're, they're not the best rums you can get on the market. There's so many other rums that we've barely scratched the surface on that would make a better Mai Tai. Uh, so for instance, you know, if you find that you don't really like agricole, maybe try a silver rum like a Montagna or Kaloa rum from Hawaii. Um, in place of the Appleton, you can try Smith and Cross. Uh, there's, you know, sort of numerous combinations that you can make, you know, maybe you go a dark Jamaican rum, like a Caruba and then mix it with a silver rum. Um, you know, a lot, again, a lot of different combinations you can try. So what I'm mixing in this recipe is what I would consider a top shelf Mai Tai, but generally I make that one and then I start mixing in other things. Like I might use an Appleton VX and then, um, some sort of like a Don Q silver or a St. James Amber Martinique. So in other words, I, I start at the top shelf and then work my way down through an evening if I'm going to have multiple Mai Tais. Um, a note of reference again, if I haven't emphasized this enough, then I probably haven't. Uh, fresh lime juice only, please. Um, and now is as good a time as any to break out your house-made simple syrup that you've made for the daiquiri before. Um, and then getting into the recipe, I have, um, I'll do a readout on the recipe. The recipe will also be in the show notes. I have only a slight deviation um, in terms of the amount of lime juice that I use. The original recipe that I saw calls for the juice of one lime, which is kind of impractical for consistent measuring from drink to drink. Um, and so some recipes put it at an ounce of lime juice. I've kind of landed based on my own experimentation at three quarters of an ounce of lime juice. Uh, your mileage may vary. The recipe itself, um, I sort of looked over at my book as if I need this and I can't do it from memory, but I'll just go ahead and do it from memory. 
Um, it's an ounce of uh, Jamaican rum, in this case, the Appleton 12 year, an ounce of uh, Agricole rum or Martinique rum. Uh, in this case, we're using the Clement VSOP, three quarter ounce of lime juice, one half ounce of Curacao, the Ferran dry Curacao in this case, one half ounce of Orgite homemade, and then one quarter ounce of simple syrup. Put those all together, shake with ice, and then strain into a double old fashioned glass, which is filled with crushed ice. So crushed ice is a great way to, to serve this drink for presentation. If you don't have the means to have crushed ice, um, I would go ahead and pour that unstrained with the cubes that you shook it at into your double old fashioned glass. In terms of presentation, you're not in, in addition to pouring into that double old fashioned glass, uh, you want to use fresh mint as a garnish on this. And then you should, uh, before serving that, sort of lightly spank that between your hands. That releases some of the oils and the fragrance from the mint leaves. And although it seems like a small thing, uh, mint as a garnish makes an immeasurable difference, not just how the cocktail looks when you serve it, but also in how it tastes. Um, you know, a lot of what you taste also comes through your nose. And so having that fresh mint really adds a lot of complexity and a lot of depth to the cocktail as you drink it. Um, when you put your straw in, you're going to want to cut the straw actually to sort of mint level, which sort of forces you to put your nose in the mint as you drink and again, makes a big difference. So that's the conclusion of the Mai Tai episode of five minutes of rum. Thank you very much for listening. Show links are all up on the five minutes of rum website. That's the number five minutes of The show is also on iTunes as five minutes of rum. You can subscribe there, rate the show there and even leave a review there. Uh, both reviews and ratings would be appreciated. They help other people find the show. The show is also on Twitter as at five minutes of rum. That's the at symbol number five minutes of rum. Please send in comments, corrections, feedback, and requests via both the five minutes of rum website or on Twitter. And now go make a Mai Tai.